So this morning we, we come to the final chapter of the book of Micah. And this text has been a prolonged lament over covenant breakers, over the people of God continuing to rebel, pursue after themselves and other things. So if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to open up to Micah chapter 7. I'm going to be looking at these concluding verses here. Micah chapter 7. We read these words. Woe is me. For I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered and the grapes have been gleaned. There is no cluster to eat. No first ripe fig that my soul desires. The godly has perished from the earth and there is no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood and each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil to do it well. And the prince and the judges ask for a bribe and the great man utter evil desires of his soul and they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar. The most upright of them a thorn hedge. The day of the watchman of your punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For a son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. The man's enemies are the men of his own house. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not over me, O my enemies. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear my iniquity. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light and I shall look upon his vindication. Then my enemies will see and shame will cover her who said to me, where is the Lord your God? My eyes will look upon her. Now she will be trampled down like the mire of the street. A day for the building of your walls. In that day, the boundary shall be far extended. In the day, they will come to you from Assyria and from the cities of Egypt and from Egypt to the river, from the sea to the sea, from the mountain to the mountain. But the earth will be desolate because of its inhabitants for the fruit of their, de for the fruit of their deeds. Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance, who dwell alone in the forest, in the midst of a garden land. Let them graze on Bashan and Gilead in the days of old. As in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt, I will show them marvelous things. The nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might. And they shall lay their hands on their mouths and their ears shall be deaf. And they shall lick the dust like a serpent. They shall crawl like the crawling things on the earth and they shall come trembling out of the stronghold and they shall turn in dread to the Lord our God and they shall be in fear of you. Who is like our God? 
pardoning iniquity and passing over transgressions for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot and he will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abram as you swore to our fathers from the days of old. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray as we look to this text, your words given to us to hear this day, that it will stir in us, that we would lament over sin, but that we would lament with hope because the long-awaited king has come. The good shepherd has come. And I pray, Lord, that as we come before you, we would be humbled, but we would also look with joyful anticipation for the fullness of your salvation. Thank you, Lord, for your loving kindness, even to us, sinful rebel breakers. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Church, we need to be a people who lament over unrighteousness. We should lament over sin. The entire book of Micah has been written as a lament, but written with this hope, this, this promise, this yearning for this time yet to come. Micah is writing and he's conveying to the people, your God, his heart breaks over your unrighteousness, over your sin. Why were they so stiff-necked? You might ask, what could God have done? What more could he have done for these people that they would somehow see his goodness and praise him for it? I'm reminded of the words of, of, of the prophet Isaiah, who also lived at the same time as Micah. And Isaiah writes in chapter five, verse two, he is describing Israel, but he's describing it as a vineyard, which is a common theme throughout the Old Testament. And he says this, speaking of God, he dug it and cleared it of stone and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and he hewed out wine vats in it and he looked for it to yield grapes but it yielded wild grapes. In verse four, he says, what more was there for him to do for his vineyard that he had not done for it? He had done everything that these people needed done for them. And yet they looked to God and said, you're insufficient. You're not enough. We're gonna find joy somewhere else. We're gonna pursue after other gods and the delights of our hearts. And so the prophet Micah cries, Woe is me. His heart reverberates with the Lord. Woe is me. I sought sumptuous fruits of righteousness to dangle from the branches of the people of God, but instead it was barren. There was nothing there to eat. The people were corrupt. They were self-absorbed. They were seeking after themselves and their own desires. They were sinning and they didn't care who they sinned against. 
They didn't care who was involved. They didn't care who was hurt in the process. They delighted in getting whatever it was by any means possible. It sounds very similar to the words of Paul in chapter 3 where he says their feet are swift to shed blood. And in their path are ruin and misery. The way of peace is not known to them. There is no fear of God. I kind of love how Micah describes even the best of these people. They are a thorny briar. They're like a hedge. And I'm sure some of you guys have this in your backyard. We came into our backyard when we moved out here to Midland. And there's this thing called buckthorn, which is this tree that's not supposed to be here. But someone had a great idea to plant it here. And now it's everywhere And all you can do is continue to hack at it and hack at it and hack at it. And it comes back and you hack at it again. That's how these people are being described. They're an invasive plant that you just can't get rid of. That's not a good way to be described. It's not something you look at and you say, oh, look how beautiful it is. It creeps up and you say, oh, no, not another one. Even the best are being described that way. And even in the home, this this corruption and sinfulness has evaded the home. There's contention, there's divisiveness. And in that environment, distrust flourishes. And this description is so moving. A spouse can't even trust the one they lay next to. How could this be? How could the people of Israel, God's chosen people, the ones he has called out of sin and has called out of slavery, the one he has provided a, 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 a land with everything that they could want, how could they turn this way? We touched on it last Sunday, chapter 6, verse 9, and Paul stated at the end there of the passage I read from Romans chapter 3, In verse 17, we read, there is no fear of God before their eyes. If you fear not the Lord, you will do whatever pleases you. If you have no fear of God, what is there to stop you from pursuing after anything that defames him or dishonors him or is against his will? Sin should drive us to lament. We should grieve. We should sorrow. We should mourn the unrighteous rebellion that we see. We should call out to God, appealing to him. Help us, Lord. Help these people to see their their, their evil ways. Help us, Lord, to not be okay with the sin around us. But our lament shouldn't end just out there. We should also lament sinful rebellion in our own hearts. We see this even in the prophet here. The prophet writes in the beginning of verse 8, Rejoice not over me, O my enemy, when I fall. He knows something there. I'm going to fall short. I'm, I'm not always going to be perfect. There's going to be times I sit in darkness. And then verse 9 he says, I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. 
Micah is counted as a righteous one, yet he is completely aware that there is indwelling sin in his life. He is a prophet of God, and yet he is not perfect. That should be good news to hear for us. One, if a prophet isn't perfect, then surely me, not a prophet, it's okay that if I am not perfect, that there, there's still hope there. There's still a way to be counted as a righteous one. Friends, we should lament over sin and unrighteousness. It should grieve us that we, we, we do evil. That we have this glorious gift of We have God, and yet we sin against him, and we chase after other things. We declare to the world by our actions, by how we spend our money, how we share our time, that there is something more valuable, something far greater, a, a treasure to be had, and it's not God. We live unlike, we live unrighteous lives. And if we are not offended by our sin, we will never lament over it. And if we never lament over sin, we will never repent for it. And without repentance, there's no forgiveness. And without repentance, there's no restoration. Without repentance, there's no hope. Do we lament over sin out there? It should break our hearts when we see people sinning out there. But do we also lament when sin shows up in our own life. There's a consequence when we allow rebellion to continue to reign in our life. There's a consequence. And there's one in this passage that's so interesting. I want us to look out at this, if you will, this this punishment, this consequence for unrighteousness. And I'm not talking about the verses that that talk about the person who covers their mouth or that their ears are, are deaf because they are awed by the glory of God when he comes in his full righteousness. I'm not talking about being tread down like the mire on the road or being cursed. I'm talking about what shows up here in verse four. The second half of that verse says, the day of your watchman, of your punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. A consequence to unrighteous living is confusion. Have you ever connected that before? Sin doesn't lead to order. Sin leads to chaos. All you have to do is look around, right? We see that. Have you ever seen what happens when two people who sin get together? It turns into this like explosion of chaos. Why? Because you're fighting to get your way. They're fighting to get their way. And there's this constant give and take. And and every time you take it, you're mad about it. And so you have to give it more, right? It's kind of that like when you have two kids together. It starts playful, right? One kid shoves another kid. It's a joke. The other kid shoves another kid, but they have to shove a little bit harder. And then the next kid doesn't say, oh, thanks. I love that. I appreciate it, right? All of a sudden, the hands are balled up in fists, and they're, they're fighting. And then you pull them apart. and Like, what is going on? They're like, we're just playing. 
really? It's chaos. And it's not just that way. You just look around the world. As the world pursues sin, as the world pursues self, as the world pursues sinful, unrighteous desires, there is chaos. It is a world where if you say something and it doesn't fit that person's specific whatever, they blow up because you used the wrong pronoun. They blow up because you say, I don't agree with you. I have a different opinion. They blow up. I'm saying they, but we do the same thing. They say we're closed-minded and we shout back in anger. There's chaos when sin rules in our life. Take a look here at Romans chapter 1. Verses 21 to 25. Listen, listen how Paul describes this. He's talking about the wrath of God on unrighteous people. And then he says in verse 21, for although they know God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served creatures rather than the creator. He gives them up. To the lust, he gives them up to the futile thinking of their ways, and order is not to be found. Do you see that? We could look at the world and we could say we're going to hell in a handbasket. Or we can do what the prophet does. Take a look here at verse 7. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. He's saying, when I pray, God will hear me. When we are lamenting over sin out there, when we lament over the sin that is in here, what we need to do is we need to set our gaze. We need to turn our eyes to the Lord Wait on his salvation. Pray. We look at the world and we say they're crazy. Why isn't the next response, Lord, they need you. Just as we need you. Because I'm crazy too. I'm fighting sin in my own life. Hope is found when we set our gaze upon the Lord. 
Look at what he says here. Remember, he, I said he, he's a sinner too. Rejoice not over me, verse eight, O my enemies. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the iniquities, the, excuse me, the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. We need a savior. We need to set our eyes on God because God is going to shepherd us. God is going to to lead us. God is going to, to guide us to the place we need to be where we can find order amidst the chaos, where we can find hope in hopeless situations. Church, look to the shepherd king's mercy for it's glorious. Micah has been lamenting and he's been saying, look at these unrighteous things that you guys continue to do and and to pursue and you have broken covenant with the Lord, but yet there's always this hope. There's always time, right? That they would lament and repent. There's always time or there's always this pointer. God's gonna raise up this king who's gonna usher in this glorious kingdom and there's gonna be this future time when when a new Jerusalem is going to, to be established and the reign of this king will usher out and the people will come from all nations and all all tribes and then we'll gather together this king has come the prophet prays shepherd your people with your staff and look at how god responds verse 15 As in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt, I will show them marvelous things. God answers Micah's prayer for a shepherd by pointing them to a time when God came in in a very tangible way and shepherded the people out of bondage into new life. He raised up a prophet named Moses Which, by the way, Moses, towards the end of his life, says, God's going to raise up another prophet like me, but one who is greater than me, from amidst you people. I wonder who he was talking about. God is saying, I'm going to do something so amazing. The only thing I can compare it to was the previous supreme act of my redemption. The long-awaited king has come. The one promised to be born in Bethlehem, which Micah prophesies, has come. The one who would usher in the glorious restoration of God's people, this good shepherd, has come. And he has done marvelous things like in the day of Exodus. Do you remember the plagues in Exodus? The different plagues were to show that God was superior over the gods they worshipped. It also showed that God was superior over the created order of all things. Do you remember what Jesus did? Do you remember that? Like when he just talks, says a word, be still in the created order, still. 
not sure if you're aware of this, but Moses didn't walk over the Red Sea. He had to have God part it for him for him to walk on dry land. Jesus is like, ah, I'm going to skip step one and just go to step two, the walking part. Demons obey his voice and flee. When they're in the wilderness and they're hungry, God sends them manna and quail to satisfy their stomachs. Jesus takes a few loaves of bread and some fish and feeds a multitude. And Jesus calls himself the very bread of life. When the people didn't obey and they grumbled, God sends snakes to bite them and kill them off in the wilderness. And so they fashion together this bronze serpent that they raise up on a rod. And when the people look upon the bronze serpent, they would be saved, healed. Look what Jesus says as he's talking to Nicodemus. He says this in John chapter 3. I'm going to look over here so I don't have to turn. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. It's almost like Jesus is saying, I'm doing something far superior, far greater miracles that far surpass even the things that were done in the wilderness. He is good and faithful. He keeps his covenant, even with us rebel covenant breakers. And so the prophet says, who is God like you? Verse 18. It's not really a question. Who is a God like you? It's not really a question. It's a declaration that God is incomprehensible. His glory is so great, it exceeds anything that you can imagine. Micah could list numerous things, right? He'd be like, you guys are worshiping stones. You have to carry them. They can't even move. You're worshiping a God who's over this people or this city when there is a God who is over all things. He could list so many ways that God was superior to all the false counterfeits that we worship today. We worship false idols just as they did. There's a line. It's not really a line. It's a stanza. There's a stanza in a song called The Love of God. It's an old song It's in these things called hymnals. I know some people don't know what those things are. Written by Frederick Lehman. It says this. Listen to this. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made where every stock on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. How could the scroll contain the whole, though it stretched from sky to sky? There's so much of God's glory that if the ocean was an inkwell and we were penning the skies, we would run out of ocean. The skies wouldn't be big enough. That's the God we serve. Think of all the things that God has done for you. Why do we chase after these frivolous things? But Micah's hope here. His focus is very specific. The attribute that Micah is enthralled in, the attribute or the character of God that that Micah zeroes in on is the king's grace, 
is mercy. God's grace and mercy is so supreme that it shows the surpassing excellence of the Lord. Take a look here. Take a look here at these verses. This is an Old Testament passage, right? This is pre-Jesus. But the end of Micah's letter is all about Jesus. Who is God like you? Pardoning iniquity, verse 18. Passing over transgressions for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy or in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquity underfoot. You will cast our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the day of old. He's talking about Jesus. Who is a God like this, this holy and perfectly just God who will pardon, who will lift off iniquity? Isn't that amazing? The Day of Atonement, the Jewish day of Yom Kippur, the people would offer a sacrifice to blot out their sins, to show the forgiveness But it was more than just to be forgiven. On the day of atonement, it was to remove, to lift off sin. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin, the writer of Hebrews tells us. When John writes his gospel, he wrecks the story right from the beginning. Because John says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God. Wait, wait, Jesus is God? You wrecked the story. And then 28 verses later, Jesus comes walking out of the wilderness to John, the Baptist, his cousin. And John says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You wrecked it again. You don't even have to go to the end of John's gospel to see that God is doing something far greater than just taking you out of the bondage of slavery to Egypt. He is taking you out of the bondage of slavery, of sin. Who is a God who would pass over transgressions? In the Exodus account, the final plague was brought upon the firstborn son of every household. And to be saved from this judgment required a lamb to a lamb a lamb I can't even say it a lamb to be slain, and the angel of death would pass over every home that had the lamb's blood painted on its doorposts. It should become no surprise that a far greater miracle has happened by the one who calls himself the Passover Lamb. Jesus is the perfect lamb without spot or blemish. All who are found under his blood are passed over. Not because you're righteous, but because of his righteousness has covered over you. That when God looks upon that blood, he says, washed clean. Who is like our God who delights in doing this? Look at God's attitude in this passage. He delights in steadfast love. God isn't saying, 
okay, I'll do it because I have to. He is joyfully doing this. It is with mercy. He delights in showing love. Do you know what delight is? Delight can't be held. There are certain things that your heart just sings for. If it's like mine, it could be ice cream. Or wrestling. Real wrestling, not like WWE stuff. Like, it just, I can't, I, I sit and watch it and a smirk comes across my face. I can't, can't hold that in. Or... When my child obeys my instructions the first time. <laughs> Whatever. Any of those three, delight bubbles up. And it's not, it's not held back. I can't help but say, like, thanks for doing that. That's amazing. Oh, another serving? Yes, please. Right? Like, it just sings it. And God is saying that he sings mercy, steadfast love for you. Don't believe the lie. That God holds this in and says, do these things first and then I will show it. He delights in giving it to you. How are we not happy in praising God for this? Who is a God that would do this? Every other God says, work your way to heaven. Do these things and then I will bless you. This God says, I pour it out because I delight in it. God has already shown you infinite compassion. And if you don't think so, you just need to look to the cross. Jesus has already tread down upon your iniquities. And like Pharaoh's army, your sin will not survive being plunged to the depths of the sea. The Lord announces in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, for I will be merciful towards their iniquities and I will remember their sin no more. No more. Wait, isn't God all-knowing? How can he forget? How can he? No, no, no. God remembers your sin. What he is saying here is he's never going to throw it in your face. He's never going to count it against you. Can God be trusted to do this? Yes. He's already done it. If you don't think he can be trusted, you don't understand what is at the heart of the gospel. It's God coming and dying for you. Taking your sin upon him and showing mercy to covenant breakers like us. What other hope do you have but to trust that God will be faithful to be gracious and merciful? Can you hope that you will somehow in your own strength battle and conquer sin? Can you imagine that you somehow can reform your life to be perfect and presentable to a holy God? Who is like our God? Who meets you in your mess and takes it upon himself so that you, a rebel sinner, might be counted as righteous. Who is like our God? For the wages of sin is death, but instead God mercifully pays you life. Who is like our God? It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. I plead with you. Look at Jesus, this king, this shepherd, and his mercy because it's glorious. 
Even in rebellion, there's hope because this king has come. This is the good news because we should see in ourselves covenant breakers. We are all over the pages of Micah, but instead I pray you see that there's hope in this good shepherd and that he has led us out of the forest into the areas where we can be refreshed. Who is like our God? I've been waiting seven weeks to say this. Do you know what the name Micah means? It means who is like our God. Can you imagine this? If you were the prophet Micah, every time you walk into the king's office, they're like, oh, who is like our God's here again to tell us more about God, right? Can you imagine that? Every time he is showing up before he even opens his mouth, he is trying to make a statement. God is stating to his people before Micah says a word, who is like me is what God is saying. And so for us, I say to us as Christians, your name might mean something far different. Maybe your name means this or that or whatever, but does your life declare when you walk in, who is like our God? Who is like our God? Who is like our God who would look at our iniquities and put them on his beloved son? Who is like our God who would continue to pour out grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon unworthy people? Who is like our God who would come into the form of man to die in your place? Who is like our God who doesn't hold sin and removes it as far as the east is from the west? Who is like our God? There is none like him. So let us lament over sin. Let us lament over unrighteousness in the world around us and pray that God would open their eyes, that they would say, who is like that God? Let us lament over our own sin. Christian, let us be bold in confidence because of Christ Jesus. If you are a Christian, let me say this to you again because we forget. You are forgiven. If you're not a Christian, all you need to do is place your faith in your life in that one and you will be forgiven. If you are a Christian, your sins have been removed. God no longer counts them against you. That is, if you place your life and hope in God alone. If you are a Christian, you have been restored. God has called you brother. Because of what Christ has done. And now we wait for the promise to come. And we yearn. We want to make his name famous. All rebellion can be overthrown. And forgiveness can be found in this merciful king. All rebellion can be forgiven. And not just forgiven. Forgotten. Because of this one. May we lament and repent. May we turn to Christ Jesus. May he be our hope. If you don't know who this God is, I pray that today you would take some time to consider it. Let me leave you with this thought, that if you don't know who Jesus is, you can't actually know who this God is. Let's pray. Lord, 
I think of these words and I'm stirred. We have so much to lament over. We live in a world that's lost, chasing after sin. We can lament over that. And we can lament over the sin that still reigns in parts of our lives, Lord. And I pray that as we see it, that we would humbly come repenting, laying it before you and say, take this too. Lord, we can lament because we haven't been faithful to declare who is like our God. But even in that, there's forgiveness. Even in that, there's a pardoning. Lord, as we've gone through this beautiful book of Micah, help us to lament with hope because this king has come. This shepherd has arisen. You have already pardoned past tense our iniquities. You have already passed over our transgressions, past, present, and future ones. You are no longer angry at us who are under the blood of your son. Instead, you desire and delight to show steadfast love and mercy. It is sufficient to tread underfoot our sins. You are faithful. And Lord, you have shown steadfast love to those who are heirs of Abraham, the father of righteousness the one who was counted righteous because of faith. So help us to have faithfulness. Help us turn to you again and again that your righteousness would wash upon us and we'd be made new again. All this in the name of King Jesus, we pray. Amen. like our God. Let's stand and sing to the God of love and mercy.
before you depart, I have uh, some, some announcements here. First, if, if you want someone to pray with, someone to talk to, if, if you want to know who is this God that would do this, I want to encourage you, come, come here, come, come towards the front to the, the care team or, or one of the elders, and some of the elders will be here or at some of the doors as well. We would love to tell you who is a God like this. We'd love to share with you that there is one who has already done everything that needs to be done to blot out your sins and iniquities. Also want to encourage you, um, if you are newer to our church or if you, 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 you've come here, maybe this is your first Sunday, you've been a few Sundays, whatever, we want to invite you to this side, out those doors or those ones out there into the north atrium we're gonna have a, a meet the pastor time, meet with the pastors, plural. Um, if you have a question or if you wanna stump Pastor Gibb, go over there and uh, ask him the hard questions and then share a cookie with me. Awesome. <laughs> Let's meet over there. If you're a visitor, uh, if you've been here a couple times too, uh, just come meet us over there. We'd love to, to introduce ourselves to you. And if you have questions about the church or things like that, we wanna make sure we answer those things to you. And then last, if uh, you are in this section here, the south side, if you wouldn't mind uh, stacking your chairs there. And then I do have a request. When the chairs are stacked, if you guys could kind of mingle to this side of the sanctuary, because we don't want to run into anybody or accidentally have a stack of chairs fall on top of anybody. So if we're free to talk, you're free to hang out, but you could do that over here or out in the lobby, just so that we don't have any accidents as we try to move, maneuver some of those chairs to be put away. Thank you. And then let me send you out with this from Psalm 32. Here's some really great news. I acknowledge my sin to you. I didn't cover my iniquity, right? I see it. I lament. I'm doing something about it. I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I say, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquities of my sin. We have a God who saves. We have a God who forgives. So let us live lives that declare that there is a God like this. Have a blessed week, church.